0: The courage to grow is business. The big small business show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business.
1: And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today.
2: They say that they are much quicker at uh, adapting their products to our needs. They say that they are much cheaper than you. What would you say, Mr Competitor?
0: When you talk to people about change, even though change is quite constant in our lives, they quickly think about what's going to happen and Mm. I can't control things and it's a fact of life.
3: Uh, Change therefore needs to be managed. What we found is that compliance costs actually affect compliance behavior and I think with the 50 billion rand shortfall that SARS is sitting with at the moment um, one of the elements could be the compliance costs are too high. So we find the higher the compliance costs, the higher the level of evasion.
2: Welcome to the Big Small Business Show. It's a brand new year, brand new format and uh, we are having our first site visit today. Isn't this a lovely metaphor up here? And uh, I'm no botanist but this looks something like a thorn tree and it sort of represents our economy right now which is quite thorny and yet amongst all these thorns you'll see up there there is a little bird's nest and so like us as entrepreneurs we need to find our own nest our own businesses and uh, even amongst all these thorns, all these uh, obstacles, us as entrepreneurs need to find a home uh, and uh, a place to, to call our own. Now normally we would have our uh, panel discussion, but uh, this year we are trying something brand new because entrepreneurs need to try new things all the time. And we are going out to visit an entrepreneur on site. Today we are going to meet da- David uh, from Wemersoft, um David Zitonga. And uh, we're going to see if we can help him grow his business.
1: Yes, uh, Alon, how are you?
2: Well, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are I'm you? I'm excited to come see your business.
1: Uh, thank you very much for your time. Let's go. Uh, it's a great opportunity for an entrepreneur to be to meet you. I'm yeah, sorry. Uh, sorry. And uh, I'm looking forward to our session.
2: Great, thank you. Thank you. So, here we are in uh, David's makeshift office um, today, and uh, we're going to be talking to David over the next uh, while about his business and to try and find out what the issues are and see if I might be able to point him in any directions that might help him. So, you are the first person for, for the show where we are actually going out to site. So, well done for being brave.
1: Thank you. I'm fluttered, that <laughs> I'm the fast.
2: And I just want to talk about how I normally do this because I generally do this in a, in a private uh, session. I normally take a little longer than we have on TV. And I'm going to try and follow that format as best as possible. All right, so let's start off with the, the name, wemasoft is the name of your business, yes. right? Yes. Um, where does the name come from?
1: Uh, uh...
2: The name is Wema Software
1: Solutions. Yeah. Uh, so a short, uh, a short form of uh, that is Wemma Soft, and Wema means good in Swahili. In Swahili. Yes. Okay. And why is this software so good? Uh, um, our solution is quite unique. Uh, we we compete against companies like uh, uh, Sage, Pastel, uh, SAP One, and what we have uh, uh, seen, uh, like one of my client. Uh, uh, we did a presentation and they were like, uh, they have gotten another presentation from US uh, and uh, they picked ours. One, because it is very customizable, mm-hmm. uh, because our turnaround in terms of, uh, uh, from setup to go live is very short. And uh, we're able to meet with the, with the users, uh, put, uh, uh, take the feedback and put, incorporate that into the solution. Are you
2: an uh, accountant? Uh, no. So, how did you, why did you start, why did you go into this type of business, e procurement? Uh, I'm a uh, software developer uh, by
1: profession. I did my comp- uh, uh, bachelor's degree in computer science, and later on, I did technology management for honors and masters. And um, I worked in an environment whereby I was developing different various sorts of, sorts of systems, solutions. And uh, so I, uh, I got introduced to ERPs. Yes. Uh, so, and um, I thought that was a unique, uh, uh, there Just was be, a niche. For,
2: for the audience, what's an ERP?
1: Um, Enterprise Resource Planner. Which means uh, what? It is a software that uh, you, you can use to manage from uh, HR, uh, finances, to customers. So it, the entire corporation can be managed using one system.
2: Okay. Yes. So so you were a developer, so why you speak about, very often we We fantasize as entrepreneurs that there is a problem when there is indeed no problem. Or we fantasize um, or quite frankly bullshit ourselves that there is actually an opportunity in a niche when there isn't. And as soon as you might create that, that the big guys might see that and just go into that themselves. So tell me why you're not uh, fooling yourself. Um,
1: There is competition. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, um, going against uh, established companies is not easy, especially when you are a small uh, guy. Um, the advantage of of a small companies is that um, they can innovate much faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, see other uh, solutions uh, and uh, identify a gap and be able to address it. While uh, most companies will want a big company to deal with, COT uh, so it gives you uh, um, an opportunity to get to start where uh, those big companies are not. Um, so where is
2: that gap? What is your gap? What, what what If I had to choose between one of the big guys and mm-hmm. you, why would I choose you? Uh,
1: number one is in terms of uh, the... the uh, if you go... If you're a big company and uh, uh, you want a, a, a solution, of course you go to ASAP. But there are companies who cannot afford ASAP. A, a, a
2: okay. Yet,
1: uh, Solutions like SAGE don't uh, address... Uh, I'm,
2: I'm carry on talking, I'm just writing words. Uh-huh.
1: Solutions like uh, SA, uh, SAGE uh, are not as dynamic as, or they are not rich in terms of functions uh, as SAP. So that's where we come, we bridge that gap. So what mm-hmm. is the
2: difference, let's go for the... Because affordability we're speaking about is your, is, it seems to be your... So price is, is how you're competing.
1: Uh, is that right? Uh, that is, is, it is a factor. It is okay. a factor. What else? Uh,
2: features. So you've got different features yes. to, to, to the others? To the others, yes. And how quickly can they create those features? Once they see your product out there in the market, can't they just copy? Um, they can. Let's call it the competition. Let's just use the word the competition, competition. okay? So you're saying that you've got quick turnaround time in terms of uh, doing... You're saying that you are adaptable to their needs. Absolutely. And Is that what fast, you're saying? Yes. And you're fast? Yes. Okay.
1: Uh, unlike uh, the bigger For, companies.
2: Okay. So, 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 how long will that last? And, uh, so, how long will you be fast? And also, another advantage of games. Answer my mm-hmm. question. Don't, don't, don't give me a script. L- listen, how long will you be faster than them? Uh, and how can you prove that? Uh, if I said to you on your marks, they said, go. Right make a change. How do you know that you faster? How, how, how do you prove that? Uh,
1: our turnout could be between a day to oh. a week okay. uh, to put a, a substantial change on the system. Okay. Uh, yes.
2: Alright, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a little game with you. Alright. So now you are one of the competitors, mm-hmm. right? I am the potential client. I'm the client. Right? And you're the competitor. And now I'm speaking to you and I'm saying, Um, Mr. Competitor, there's a guy out there, his name is David Sitonga, he's the founder of a company called Wemersoft. They say that they are much quicker at uh, adapting their products to our needs. They say that they are much cheaper than you. What would you say, Mr. Competitor? Mm. What would you say?
1: We can try and uh, uh, meet, uh, beat their deadlines.
2: What else would you say? Um,
1: uh, also, a factor you should consider is that uh, the experience of the company, our company, is much bigger. We have been in the market for uh, for so many years. So why is that uh, important to me? Uh, because you might need uh, experience, you might need uh, um, uh, a portfolio to see these companies is more stable. And okay. um, yes.
2: Alright. Okay, we're going to now uh, from my experience I have to take a break now when we come back I'm gonna ask you some more tough comp- uh, questions
1: so, okay thank you all
2: right we'll be right back straight after this okay, thank you. Welcome back, uh, I'm sitting here with uh, David Sitonga, who is the founder of Wemisoft. Uh, they do e-procurement software and David is our first uh, experiment actually, but something I think we're going to be doing a lot of this year, which is go on site to the entrepreneurs in their place of work. So David, I've, I've been trying to put you into a different position here, a different mindset where I've asked you to be the competitor who's competing against you. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm doing that is because very often as an entrepreneur, we, we bullshit ourselves that, that, you know, about our opportunities. We start talking here that we're more affordable. We start talking about that you know, you're telling us that you, you've got a quicker turnaround time and all these wonderful things. But it's, I think it's very important and for you to understand what the competition would be saying about you. Because the moment you put yourself in their shoes, which is what I'm trying to do, and I'm going to push you a little harder now, it, we start to see what we need to do in order to counter that. So I want to go back into, into a role play here, where I'm the, your, the, the client, you are the competitor, your competitor, and we're talking about, I'm the client, I'm asking you, um, Mr. Competitor, why are you much better than Wermersoft? What? what do you have that they don't have Mm -hmm. we started talking about the fact that you've got a portfolio and that you've got experience what else give me two more things that Mm -hmm. that that you have that uh doesn't have
1: uh also we are more uh, staffed we have more staff who uh okay so in case uh, one person is away uh you you still um have other people who can be able to process you okay Um, so that's continuity absolutely right um And um, and, one uh, one more thing. um, Our solution, uh, we have uh, have a lot of uh, experience and finances to do research and to be able to uh, to innovate our solution. So um, our solution is uh, you can be assured that uh, going forward, it 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 we can look in the future and we can be more innovative.
2: Okay, so it's going to evolve, iterate. Yes. Okay. All right, so I've written down four things here, right? You gave me two things. You gave me affordability, Mm -hmm. and you gave me turnaround time, all right? Yes. Turnaround, so these are your two weapons, okay? And they've got these four weapons. I'm sure they've got more, but these are the ones that you know they're gonna kind of fight you with. So why I do this is because what I want us to talk about now is your portfolio Mm -hmm. versus theirs. How do we build that? Your experience versus theirs, how do we express that? Your staff versus theirs, how do we build that or bolster that? And then their ability to iterate and, and evolve their product, and how do you counter that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Because if this is their strength, and this is your strength, we can talk about this in the two, in two different ways, but what I don't want you to do is put your head in the sand. And bury yourself in the, the falsehood that you can fight just on these two. On those two. Okay. So we have to deal with your portfolio. So let's talk about your portfolio. And remember I spoke about earlier about being
1: mm-hmm.
2: straightforward. How many clients do you have?
1: We have about fourteen clients.
2: Fourteen? Yes. Alright, so fourteen clients. Over what period?
1: Over four years.
2: Over four years. So that would be what is that? That's about three and a half clients a year. Three, yeah. Okay. And what? What are? And how did you get those clients?
1: Um, most of them uh, is through marketing, uh, online marketing. Yes. Uh, so they go to um, to Google, search for procurement system, and uh, they find us.
2: Okay. Yes. And, and why do they stay with you?
1: Uh, they are quite happy with the solution. Um, how do you know that? Um, I usually um, ha- uh, make a point of uh, visiting my clients. How often? And, uh, at least um, once every two or three months. Okay. Yes. And um, how often
2: do they uh, refer other clients to you?
1: Uh, not as yet. I haven't gotten any okay. referrals. And have you ever
2: asked them to? Because uh, if they're happy, surely they would refer
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the client, we are in a in a process of uh, um, uh, partnership partner with them, mm-hmm. um, so I think that it should be a sign that um, they are quite happy. Another client want to um, uh, add some more modules from our uh, from our system uh, to state their solution using ours.
2: Yes. Um, and do they pay you for that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. They uh, pay you for the the, for the,
2: the, the, the modules. Yes. Okay. and
1: uh, another one another client um the uh, they have portfolios of companies we have done implemented one they have five more companies in south africa and they won't also want to uh, uh, to introduce the procurement to those other companies this is next year
2: why is your software good just last question before we take a break uh-huh. why is your why have you got really good software
1: uh, uh, if i can use the words of one of my client was that um, um I sent him an email and asked him, uh, did you go through the system? It was like uh, I went through the system and one thing that uh, uh, stood out is that uh, some of my staff are not computer literate, yet they were able to find their way easily through the system. So that's sort of visibility, whereby you don't need someone who has a diploma in computer to use it. Um, So it is...
2: Great, we're going to have to take a break. Now, after the break, we'll come to our concluding remarks and I'm going to try and give David some places to go and uh, think about in terms of the strategy moving forward for his business. Welcome back, Uh, we are with David Gitonga from Wemisoft, and uh, this is the final part of our on-site interview with with David. David has an e-procurement software business and uh, we have been going through quite a tough um, I think interaction now, quite a vulnerable interaction and I have to give David a kudos here because um, he's he's been very vulnerable. why it's important to be vulnerable especially when you're working with a mentor or somebody is working with you is that if you give a veneer of what's going on let's call it the marketing version of what's going on you can never get to the actual solution and for me what David uh, is uh, uh, doing here is quite classic It's uh, I wouldn't blame him at all in terms of the kinds of mistakes that he is making right now same mistakes that I made as a as an inexperienced entrepreneur, and the first thing, Dave, that David that we, we were speaking about now is the fact that you've got to be putting yourself in the shoes of your competitor. You have to have the the the, the courage to to compete with yourself and fight against you in terms of how you would see them fighting against you, and then. Put up your defences, so there's two parts to the strategy. The one is your defences and the other is what you're going to attack with. So your defences yeah. if you know they're going to attack the fact that you're, you've got, they've got a big portfolio and you've got none, start building your portfolio. If you know that they're going to use their years of experience against you, you have to work out a strategy how you're going to talk about your experience, how you're going to package your experience, whether it's how many years you've been in development, uh, software development, etc. The team that you've worked with, the you know the the amount of experience that you've had in this particular industry. So that's um, that's the second thing. The number of staff that that you have. This is always an interesting one. Whether you include all your suppliers as your your staff or you don't. Um, when you talk about a team of ten or fifteen, or is it just a one-man band? So it's you. Maybe you sitting here in this. Little room here, like most entrepreneurs starting off and doing just here. But after four years, I'm sure you, 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 you have to have interacted with other developers over time. And your ability to iterate, and I think that's one of the strengths. I would even move that here, I suppose, in your turnaround that they said that you can turn around. The second side of your strategy so, this is so, your port, just, just to be clear, your portfolio, you have to talk about the 14 different businesses, right? Um, what types of industries are in? Cut them into different industries. So let's say Five of them are in a particular type of industry. Let's call it the service industry. You could say, you know I don't know what percentage five is out of 14, but you could say like 35% of our clients are in the in the uh, services industry um, So you're not lying you just you are speaking about as a percentage about what, what your Your clients, where they come from. The the second uh, side, which I want to talk about, because we've got little time here, is around these three things. I think the biggest uh, angle that you have out of the three, I would never, if you've watched the show, and I know you have, because you tweeted in to be on the show, you'll know that I, I I strongly disagree with fighting on price. You'd rather fight on value, but usability is valuable to somebody. And I think now coming to the niche in terms of where you go, you need to find a market where usability is very important. In other words, the people who are using the software are not at the level that other big businesses would have and therefore would require a piece of software that is commensurate with their level of sophistication around um, uh, using computers and computer software. That would be where I would go target. So just listening to you here, my sphere would be here. And I would spend all my time now as a strategy, all my time building the system to be more and more usable. So in terms of competing against all the other guys, they might, as you, as you quite rightly say, you might need a degree to use their software. It's very sophisticated and it is very important for this particular market. But there is a whole other market Which you need to tap into, which is around the usability. I can't, um, I can't help myself bring Kumaran into into this uh, conversation. If Kumaran were here, he'd be we'd be talking about or he'd be talking about sales, about being deliberate around sales. And if you're telling me that you're going after your clients using Google and and social media, it's obviously not working. I don't know how you are not skin and bone, I don't know how you are eating on 14 clients, right? So it's, it's not working. And to me, it's about building your, you've got some brochure where, to me, it's the courage to go out and knock on doors. You're a very nice guy, you're very approachable. You don't, don't bullshit yourself to, to the fact that somebody else would be better at selling. You, you, you have an authenticity. Use your authenticity. You have an ability to listen and then bring that back and actually do something for a client. You use that now. So, to me, just in a nutshell, you'll, you'll go for a defense, your defensive strategy here is around going to build up your portfolio, your experience, your staff, and your ability to iterate in terms of how a client would see that. But that's not what you're going to fight on. You're going to fight on usability. Okay. And once you fight on usability, your software will become more and more usable. It will become your differentiator and and that together with a deliberate strategy going out to client, like literally that hard thing about being rejected, you know, that thing that we all hate, you have to go out there and be rejected a thousand times. And unless you have the courage to be rejected, you're not going to build this business. So you've got to make a choice. The pain of being in inverted commas, poor, unsuccessful, or the pain of rejection, your choice. What do you choose? Absolutely,
1: you have to go out and and, and sell. Yeah, and you Uh, have to have something to sell, which mm -hmm.
2: is going to be this product, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well that's it uh, for our first uh, on-site show today. Um, David uh, was, uh, uh, I have to say, a nice uh, first um, partner to, to work with, uh, being open and vulnerable. And uh, many small businesses start humbly, like, th- like this one here, minded to, as did most of yours out there. And it is uh, these people who start off and have the courage to build something um, that are the backbone of our economy. And we are coming out there to speak to you and to help you become part of the 4% of businesses that actually succeed. Up next.
0: When we have to give someone bad news, you wish you can send them an email mm. or a WhatsApp rather than face-to-face and mm. say, we need to talk about change.
2: Hey, welcome back to the big small business show. Big small business show. Now, we're continuing our leadership series and my guest today in studio is none other than Nolita Fakude, who is director of uh, many companies, and uh, some are more famous than others, but they all are quite famous. And today, uh, Nolita and I are going to be having a discussion around change management as a key competence for leaders. Welcome, Nolita.
0: Thank you. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thanks for the invitation.
2: All right. So. so You know recently we've had a couple of discussions around leadership about leadership during the growth phase of a business leadership when a a business contracts businesses are never static there's always change whether it's external or internal there's always change how do i gain this competence do i have to do i have it innately can i learn to have a competence in terms of how i manage change how do i actually you know, we people speak about change management, but how do I, as a leader, get it if, if I don't have it?
0: Well, the the, the issue around having the competence of change management has got a lot to do with the personality type of the person. Yeah. Uh, most of us are easier with change. We we kind of embrace it and work with it to see the outcomes. But some of us are not that easy. When you talk to people about change, even though change is quite constant in our lives, they quickly think about "Oh, what's going to happen and Mm. I can't control things. And it's a fact of life. Uh, Change therefore needs to be managed and it's a competence that we believe you can build over time by doing certain things. Such as? So certain things such as thinking about What are the key questions you have to ask yourself when someone is saying, we are going to change from having this particular TV slot from 8 o'clock to it going to 10 Mm -hmm. o'clock? You ask yourselves, why do we have to change? And what is this change about? And thirdly, how is it going to be done such that it can be embraced? And more, more the how is always forgotten by people. Mm. They focus on the what, the fact that we have to change. Mm. And they forget about the how. And more often than not, that's where things fall apart. And then lastly, it's the timing. Because when you know those four key questions and you have a sense of what is going to happen, why it's happening, how it's happening, and when it's going to happen, then you start getting people to listen and buy in to what you want to propose.
2: And of course, your your competency as a leader uh, can determine the whether that change is a successful change or a disaster.
0: That, that's very true. That's why we, when we talk about human capacity and competence nowadays, we say one of the critical competences that leaders require need to have is that of being able to manage change. Because it means you have empathy. You think about the other person. Be mm-hmm. in the person's walking their shoes. If I say to the person, we have to talk about job losses, what does that mean? And how do you therefore have that conversation? So empathy is an important element of building that competence of change management. Secondly, the the, the issues around um interdependencies if this changes what else is affected Mm. talk about those issues and often as leaders because you've thought about the vision long uh, in advance and you've planned and you can see it happening you forget to take your people along with you and that competence is about also taking your people along with you during the process of change meaning communications Mm. communicating with people Face-to-face communication, we found that it's a competence uh, and a skill that most people use as and when it suits them. When you have to give someone bad news, you wish you can send them an email Mm. or a WhatsApp rather than face-to-face and Mm. say, we need to talk about change. And these are the reasons. So that's, that's how you build your competence. You build it through practicing. There small steps around talking to people about why things need to change and how they are going to change and what will be the impact to everyone as honestly as possible.
2: So, so the, in essence the change management competence is, a, is, a, is a, a thought through communication, how do you communicate, think through and communicate the change. One of the um, views is, and I want to get your, your view on this, is, is around the fact that you don't just come to people with "here's the change," that, that you almost leak it into the system slowly, so people get used to the concept, mm-hmm. can think about it, and and it's not just this one big reveal, this one no. big announcement. That you that the you know discussions are happening, and it's the it's the system and the organisation is getting used to the idea of change. Your thoughts?
0: That, that, that's very true. Alone, that, that's why it's important to start with. Why the change? What is the business case for change? Mm. Why do we need to change? Maybe we are growing, maybe we are losing customers, maybe we've got new technology we need to introduce, maybe we're even moving to a new building. So that's, that's the business case for change. Mm. Some people call it the burning platform. What's the burning platform? And once everyone in the organization has bought into that reason of why we need to change, through these various communications and conversations that you're talking about, the next thing that people would want to know is what exactly are the two, three key things that we have to change to make sure that this change is successful? Mm. Uh, You need, therefore, as a leader to be able to tell people and say, you know, once we make these changes, it means more customers, it means we work better if we're changing processes, or it means that our stakeholders are actually going to be much more happier because we now have changed a particular way of doing things to another. So it's not as uh, linear, as I'm talking about, because nothing is ever linear in management. But the conversation has got to happen in full. Why are we changing? What are we changing? And then more importantly, talk to the people. How are we going to do this? How best do we do this? Sometimes the best ideas about how to change mm. the process comes from the comes people. From the people. Mm. So that's when you start the conversation. And also, that's when we get the buy-in from everybody, because now people say, "Ah, you know what, we've been thinking about this for a long time, that actually we need not drink water from the glass. We need to be drinking it from a cup. Mm. And we know how to do it cheaper and better. And therefore, the how becomes important, because we include everybody who's going to be affected, and the timing, obviously, of when those changes would happen. Um, would come into the conversation as well.
2: Very quickly, last question, we've got very little time left is around, you speak about all the people that are actually, that buy into it, but not everyone always buys into it, there's always those people who don't, What, what very quickly, what would your strategy be around dealing with those people do we exit them, do we still keep trying to get them come along what do we do with
0: them. You don't do the the, the, the definitely you don't upfront do the fit in or fit out yes. kind of conversation. Oh. Um, it's that's why I'm coming back to the process being important because by the time you implement and effect the change You should have enough of a critical mass of people who have bought into the change and are less resistant to the idea so that those people can role model the benefits of the new change and hopefully the late uh, bloomers and those who are the late uh, takers will see that there are benefits. And obviously there's a point as a leader where you say, you know what, this is now the time that I expect everybody to be on the bus. And if by now you are not ready to get onto the bus, maybe it's time you you get off the bus. Mm. And, And those conversations will happen and take place as long as you know that you have helped people throughout the process by talking through about the change and how and what's in it for them. Why is it going to be good for everyone? And it may not be good for everyone, we know, but why is it good and important for the organization which is what we're all working towards making sure is a success.
2: No later for good, we have to get off the bus right now. <laughs> um, I look forward to continuing the series with you. Thanks for being in the studio.
3: Thank you very much, Thank you.
2: What what does compliance cost mean? Let's start there.
3: All right. first of all it's not the tax that you pay, so it's the actual cost to comply with paying your tax. So there's three basic elements to it, the first one is your internal cost, so that's if you're a business for instance, it's the person, your accountant, your bookkeeper that you pay, it would be her or his cost.
2: Back to the big small business show. Now we all have to pay a tax, and uh, we all know that uh, death and taxes are inevitable. And uh, but who pays for that tax? Uh, collecting that tax is is not inevitable. And over the last couple of years, there's been more and more of a burden of the payment of that tax onto us as the taxpayer. Now, joining me now in studio is uh, Professor Sharon Smolders, who is the Acting COD Department of Financial Intelligence at Unisa, and we're going to be talking about a new uh, study that's being commissioned, in order to research survey that's been commissioned in order to understand where this burden is actually being placed, and is it too much on us as the taxpayer, and should the taxman not be taking some of that burden? Uh, onto themselves. Welcome.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Alan.
2: Right. So okay. so let's talk about what is this the compliance cost. What What is the compliance cost? To, what, okay. what does compliance cost mean? Let's start there.
3: All right. First of all, it's not the tax that you pay. So it's the actual cost to comply with paying your tax. Yes. So there's three basic elements to it. The first one is your internal cost. So that's if you're a business, for instance, it's the person, your accountant, your bookkeeper that you pay. It would be her or his cost or it's your external costs. If you can't complete your tax returns yourself, you need expert advice, you get in a tax practitioner, we call that external compliance costs. And the third element is uh, incidental compliance costs. So that's like your computer software costs, your travelling, your telephone, your stationery, your printing, etc. So those are the three core elements, it's it's a very difficult definition, but those are the three core elements of your tax compliance costs.
2: So just to be clear for the viewers, there's, there's two sides to this equation. There's us, the taxpayers and then there's the tax man, correct. SARS in, in yes. our case. For us there's a cost to actually uh, comply with paying the tax. In yes. other words all these yes. elements, those three elements that cost us the taxpayer money yes. and from the tax man it costs them money to go and collect that money. Correct. Right. And what, what we what you're trying to find out is if the balance is correct and in line with international standards, is that correct?
3: Yes, that's correct. SARS is well within the international standards, they've uh, actually calculated those costs, it's below 1% and that's well within the norms but what we haven't done is calculated the cost from a, a taxpayer perspective. Well, A brief study was done by SARS, who actually commissioned it um, back in 2012 and that was specifically for SMEs but also medium and large businesses, not individuals, but that information was not uh, publicly available. So the reason why we actually want to look at these costs is because first of all it diminishes the businesses resources and it doesn't increase the government's income, so it's actually an economic waste. Um, but more importantly, I think, is, is that link, what we found is that compliance costs actually affect compliance behaviour. Mm. And I think with the 50 billion rand shortfall that SARS is sitting with at the moment, um, one of the elements could be the compliance costs are too high. So we find the higher the compliance costs, the higher the level of evasion and vice versa. So the lower the cost, the lower the evasion. And perhaps it's one of the reasons for this shortfall um, and might be coming up in that uh, commission.
2: So, so that's really the core the question is why should government care yes. is answered in that last exactly. uh, last uh, exactly. answer there yeah. is that you know you if you make it too difficult for us to pay or too expensive yes. we stop paying in, yes. in, in essence yeah. so let, let's come back to the the server that, that, that you're doing you're sending it out to all businesses small businesses yes.
3: Small SMEs, so small, medium and large businesses, as well as individuals, which hasn't been done before, um, in South Africa that is. Uh, Internationally they've done this research for 20 years now and they've been doing follow-up surveys to see it is increasing, decreasing. We've got a sort of a benchmark for SMEs, but not much more than that. Um, And also the important thing is they've always looked at the costs up to submitting your tax return, but what we're finding is is that the costs um, after submitting your returns are becoming quite high as well, so your objections, your appeals, Mm. even going Going to court the litigation costs now um, so that's the part that has never been measured in us from South African perspective and I think we need to have a look at that as well and we will be looking at that in the survey
2: how, how are you going to distribute this, this survey
3: um, well it will be it's commissioned by Sica, so it will be available on Sica's website which is www.saika.co.za um, so, if you're a Psych member, you'll also be receiving an email that will contain the links to the survey. It's an electronic survey, um, but you can also freely contact me, um, Sharon Smolders at Unisa, and I can provide you with the link to the survey. We'll be going to be using social platform, media's as well. Um, but the easiest way is to go to the psycho website. No,
2: well, what would incentivize me to actually go and spend the time to fill out a, a yes. survey? Yes, well
3: first of all it is a long survey, so my plea to the respondents and I know most of these people, the small business owners, the large business, the accountants, they're very busy people, you don't have time to fill in a survey mm. but this is really important, if you don't have your say now, you're not yes. going to have it this is specifically for the small businesses because they just don't seem to have a voice mm. um, and they're the ones that the researchers found has a disproportionately uh, high burden compared to the other companies. Um, so it's your chance to have your voice heard. Um, if you don't say anything, nothing's going to happen. Um, and we want our results to be robust. We don't want to use these results if it's not robust. So the more information and respondents we get, the better the integrity of our data and the more um, punt our, our actual responses will have.
2: Is it anonymous?
3: It is anonymous. Um, however, if you And the results will be made publicly available. We'll be using them for academic purposes as well. Um, but it's definitely will, it is anonymous and nobody will, we can't pinpoint it unless you do want to provide your information. Um, and we're also looking not only at the costs, though, and I think that's an important point that I want to mention to the viewers and the businesses and individuals out there, is that we're also looking at the benefits of complying with with costs. It's, it has been measured before, but not very successfully, but it's a chance for, for the small businesses, medium, large businesses and individuals to actually, uh, compliment SARS. I think there's a lot of good things like e-filing when it works is, is really phenomenal and we want to use this opportunity to get those those views too um, so that we can get that across to SARS as well because I think that is an important part.
2: Other than having my voice heard and, and possibly changing the direction of policy um, uh, is there any other upside? Do I get access to, to the findings?
3: Yes, the, the, the report like I said will be available on the psycho website. We will also be uh, presenting it at conferences across South Africa and the world hopefully because it's, it's an international problem and that's also important is that we're not alone in this situation we just want to see where are we. Um, and how can we measure going forward. It's also to pinpoint the problem areas in our tax compliance system. So what is actually the problem? Is it the objection procedure? Is it the registration procedure? Um, And also if there's changes in policy. So we'd like to do this on a regular basis every two to three years to see has the cost gone uh, increased or decreased. And also when they bring out new policy, what we'd like to ask them is that for every policy that they bring out, they should do a compliance cost study. What are Mm. the costs gonna be of complying with this particular regulation? For instance, if we look at the um, electronic invoicing for the foreign suppliers, uh, it caused them to change their systems completely, the electronic systems which cost a lot of money. Mm. Um, so although it might sound easy on paper, but actually practically to implement this costs businesses a lot of money and that inter-engagement we'd like to happen before the policies are actually um, released.
2: So last question from me is around uh, the duration of the survey. When did it start or has it started already? Mm-hmm. And uh, When do do you actually cut off?
3: it's already live so you can go into the psycho website and you'll be able to access it and we're looking at cutting it off towards the end of March okay just before the holidays yeah or okay. after the holidays
2: and, and just uh, I know I said last question but you don't have to you said it was around half an hour to, to 20 be- to
3: 30 minutes to complete and, and yeah you don't have to complete it in one sitting and we'd advise that because it is quite long so go through it see what you need specifically for the large businesses we give them a list of what you need before you actually even start the survey so try and read that before you start because it is quite a bit of information but you can start and you can come back the next day or whenever and you won't you can come back to the same place that you started the information is saved
2: Professor Sharon Smildes thanks so much for being uh, on the show and to you the viewers you know we often complain as uh, small businesses that we don't have a voice here is a voice given to us please take up this opportunity to uh, complete the survey Uh, accurately and as comprehensively as possible so we too can have a voice out there. Well it's time for my impressions for today and uh, today's impressions is called Back to Basics. We've just started a brand new year and uh, I think it's important particularly after the hectic 2017 we had that we come back to basics as uh, entrepreneurs. I've seen too many people follow these fads and these so-called uh, um, things that are going to become the next big thing and they really, really forget uh, the, the basics of business and get bitten on the backside as a result. I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to me. Here are five things to think about when we talk about going to ba- back to basics. Simple one of all business people know, buy low, sell high. Make margin. If you watch the show, you'll know my emphasis on making margin, and you do that by creating value. And, and to me, the watching your margin as a as a business is one of the most important, back to basic things you can do. Watch your margin. Number two is create value. The only way that you can really create margin is by creating value for a client, an identified client, and understanding what the client wants is very important. And only once you understand what the client wants and needs can you create the value, the requisite value for them. And you need to, once again, do that value at a profit or create that value at a profit. Buy low, sell high, and create value. Number three is keep your customers at the center of all your decision making. Too often I see small businesses, when I work with the small businesses, uh, they start talking about their business and nowhere in that conversation are they talking about their customer. It's nowhere in how they're making decisions, nowhere are they talking about what the customer wants. And so they're making all these business decisions with, uh, uh, out of cust- with, with their customer completely out of sight. Number four is keep improving. To keep improving, I think, is one of the most critical things that uh, an entrepreneur does, knowing that we're always a version of ourselves, 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. You don't have to wait every year to be better than you were. You don't have to think about strategy as, now we're going to improve. Improving yourself as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, a, an entrepreneur personally and your business and your processes and your systems and your people As a constant part of how you build your business and keep improving It needs to be the one of the basic elements tenants of growing your business and finally enjoy what you do You know sometimes I too wake up in the morning and go whoo that, That's been a rough uh, rough week, you know feeling a little bruised But still 17 and now going on 18 years later, I still love what I do. And uh, it is because I love what I do that I get up in the morning. If you are not loving what you're doing, if you're not still passionate about what you're doing, I would strongly suggest that either you find that passion again or start looking for something else. Well, that's it for my impressions uh, for today. I want you to have a wonderful, wonderful week ahead. And remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality.
1: Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. And the courage to grow
2: is business. MTN Business. A new world of business.